Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Thursday, January 21st. Today on the show, we are right back to football. A.J. Brown has some really interesting fun on social media. The UT football program is losing players left and right. But we begin with a deep dive into how the athletic director search should be conducted by the University of Tennessee. The 440 is built every single morning by the Kingston Group, a Nashville-based custom home and remodeling firm. They are all about alignment at the Kingston Group. The goal is to align a quality-driven client with a quality-driven product. Alignment in budget, alignment in scheduling and time, alignment in communications, alignment in approach. Check them out, buildkg.com. That's the Kingston Group, craftsmanship and care. So what does the timeline look like for the University of Tennessee now that the dust has begun to settle on Monday's press conference? Well, we know the investigation is still ongoing and could conclude at any moment. And frankly, if I was a candidate for the athletic director job in Knoxville, I would want as clear a picture of what's coming towards UT football as possible. Sidebar, before we get into it, I will continue to preach that unless you can hire a sitting Power 5 head football coach, naming Kevin Steele as the interim for 2021 is the right move. Not only does it give you time to conduct a thorough search for both the AD and the head coach, but also would eat up one of those years of NCAA punishment, as well as giving you more data on a lot of unproven G5 candidates. Hiring a head coach in late February just doesn't seem like a good idea. And sidebar. So, the investigation comes first, then you hire an AD, then you let that AD hire the football coach, which is the order that Chancellor Dondi Plowman told us things would unfold at the press conference on Monday. So let's take a look at some of the candidates to be the athletic director. I will run through a list of names, but the names themselves aren't nearly as important as the underlying reasons as to why they are on the list. Much like the head coaching vacancy, I believe that a premium should be placed on experience. I think Tennessee needs someone who has AD experience and knows how to run a $200 million business and all of the stresses and trappings that come along with that job. For example, Charles Davis, VFL, all-around wonderful guy who certainly knows football. He's just not qualified. I don't want any part of that because he has no experience. They just tried that, and it didn't work. Same thing with Brad Lampley, a partner at a law firm. Obviously a wicked smart guy, zero experience, no thanks. The first calls should go to guys like Kentucky's Mitch Barnhart. Now, is a guy who's built Kentucky athletics for two decades going to leave while all of his programs are humming along? Unlikely. But that is the type of power move UT needs to try for first. There are plenty of big names who might view Tennessee as a clear upgrade on their current position. Make those calls first. Then there's the rising star ADs who are working at lower tier schools but have plenty of administrative experience. Names like Mark Ingram at UAB, who's been an AD at two different schools and has seen tremendous success dealing with adversity at both. Temple's a really hard place to win. All he did there was hire Matt Rule, who's now in the NFL, and oversaw the return of UAB football after it was literally discontinued. You could put John Gilbert from East Carolina, Mickey Allen at Tennessee State, Scott Carter at ETSU, Gerald Harrison at Austin P. All of these people would fit into that category. This would be the secondary pool of options, and there are plenty who not only have experience but would clearly take the job, and some, like Gilbert and Ingram in particular, have Tennessee ties. I do think I could argue that having Tennessee ties is more important for the AD role than the head coaching role. Because having a deeper understanding of the entire athletic department probably does become an asset at some point, whereas ties to the school largely add nothing to the resume for a head coach in terms of wins and losses. So to recap, there are three categories of candidates to run UT Athletics. 
guy with zero experience in the job but has a big name, big-time sitting Power 5 ADs with loads of experience, and up-and-coming G5 ADs with just enough experience. I want none of the first group. I am rooting for someone from the second group and resigned to the fact that the eventual choice will likely come from the third. Most importantly, will Plowman be able to give this new AD the authority they need to conduct a legitimate coaching search? Only time will tell on that one. And remember, all of the names you see attached to either job, AD or head coach, are total guesses at this point. Until you see actual reporting indicating otherwise, no one in the media or on Twitter or anywhere else has any actual clue what's going on. Tennessee barely knows what's going on. So just make sure you take all those top 10 lists you're reading all over the internet with a giant grain of salt. What is going to make all of this more difficult is that if all of Tennessee's good players leave the program, which is unfortunately what is happening right now. After 10 players entered the portal over the last month, four more joined the mass exodus from Knoxville this week. Star tailback and focus of the investigation, Eric Gray, linebacker and possibly the best player on the team, Henry Tooto, Linebacker Covarius Crouch and offensive lineman Jameer Johnson have all entered the transfer portal. That's now more than a dozen players to enter either the portal or leave for the NFL in the last six weeks. This is not good news. I can try to paint some silver lining into this story by telling you that many of these guys were going to get swept up in the recruiting scandal, so there's a good chance that many of them would not have been able to play anyway for some period of time. But it is hard to remove this many quality starting pieces from a team and expect any type of growth or development in the offseason. And as we just talked about, the investigation isn't even complete yet. We don't know what the penalties are going to be from the NCAA, and we have no clue who the athletic director is going to be. I'm sorry, it all screams interim coach in 2021. This is, at best, the fifth best team in the SEC East next year. You don't think Kevin Steele can finish fifth in the East? This much talent leaving is absolutely brutal. But we knew that right now, we are sitting in the darkest moment. If Tennessee football comes back to life, this week will be the week we point back to and say, that was the bottom. And as many wise men have said before me, if is the biggest word in the English language. So AJ Brown went live on Instagram immediately following two knee surgeries. It was hilarious and was basically what we would all look like if we live streamed ourselves doped up on post-op medication. It was entertaining, and it was an interesting look into the life of an athlete that we've never really seen before. Taylor Lewan sort of started this a few months ago when he did basically the same thing following his ACL surgery in the middle of the season. So while I loved it and enjoyed it for all of those reasons, I'm also willing to bet that head coaches, in particular ones wired like Mike Vrabel, don't love the idea of players disseminating huge injury information in real time without any filter, especially not high as hell. It has created an interesting new dynamic. Social media is a powerful thing, and it can be used for both good and bad, sometimes at the exact same time, like this situation. If I was Vrabel, I'd be furious. Brown said that, quote, they told me I was done for the year in week two. Does that mean the Titans did something against the NFL injury bylaws? Did they break any rules? I don't know, but I do know that if you cover up injuries in the NFL, you can face steep punishment from the league office. Vrabel, like all of us, understands that you cannot muzzle professional athletes from speaking their minds on social media platforms. Frankly, I don't even want to live in a world that does that. I want everyone to have whatever voice they want to have. Athletes need the media less and less every day, if at all. But it does illustrate a critical point that I think we all need to remember, especially those of us with young children, as I will be trying to teach this to my kids probably a lot sooner than I want. 
There is no filter on the internet. And that is both an amazing and terrifying thing all at the same time. Athletes, just like every other young person, has to know that it's all out there. And that it's all out there permanently, forever. The fun and the trendy sits right next to the warts and the blemishes in your timeline. Is what happened with Brown a big deal? No. Was it a new and fun look into the life of a star athlete? Absolutely. Is watching anyone high on drugs try to function entertaining? You betcha. Will this sort of thing happen again under Mike Vrabel's watch? My guess is probably not. The 440 is built every Monday through Friday by the Kingston Group. They are a locally owned, award-winning, custom home and remodeling firm. My family uses the Kingston Group. I, I think that's all you should need to know is that we use them, so I think you should use them too. And if you like the show and want to support the show, like the way the Kingston Group does, then you should go check out the website, buildkg.com. They're all about building a partnership with their clients, setting expectations on the front end, and delivering a quality product on the back end. Check them out, buildkg.com. That's the Kingston Group, craftsmanship and care. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.